Uh, this, yeah, this is tough text, and this is the first one. It's called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of text today, uh, which I hope you're pleased about. I am. And uh, we're going to be looking specifically at things that Jesus said, which are difficult for one reason or another. They're difficult. And to be honest, pretty much everything that Jesus said is difficult for one reason or another. And the main, the, the main situation there is that Jesus is God. So you've got, this, you've got this situation where Jesus, who is the living God, is trying to communicate himself to his creatures. And if, uh, if he's communicating in such a way that you couldn't understand anything at all, he would quite possibly be God. That would kind of assure you that he was God, the fact that you couldn't understand it because he's, he's wholly different from you. But it wouldn't do you much good. On the other hand, if you understood absolutely everything that Jesus was saying, you know, if chapter and verse you understood what Jesus was saying, then it wouldn't really point to him being God. It would point to him being just like us. Actually, you, you could be quite comforted today by the fact that there's many things. Hello, how's it going? Do you like hearing the rumble of my voice? All right, I'll see what I can do. All right. Come on. You can do better than that. It's really not that kind of seminar, all right? We're not having any chest thumping or anything like that, but I do feel manly going against those guys. Right. As I was saying, Jesus says a lot of, a lot of things which are offensive, unpalatable, and just plain hard to understand. And this is fully commensurate with the fact that he is God. The fact is that God is wholly other from each one of us. He's completely different. He's, in fact, to say he's different is too small a thing. It, there's, there's no comparison between the creator and his c- creation. Then you've got this instance where God becomes man. He comes in human flesh and communicates with us in a way that we can understand. That in itself is incredible. And I want you to, I want you to think about that as we, as we look at this material together this morning. It's amazing that God has crea- uh, created uh, himself within his creation, so to speak. It even sounds wrong grammatically. But he's come into the midst of human life to communicate to us. It says in Hebrews 1 that in, in the past, God spoke through prophets, and he spoke in many different ways. In these last days, the days which we live in, he's spoken to us through his Son. He's spoken to us through that, that one, that man, that God-man, who is the Word of God. Okay? So... Hold those things in your mind as we look at these texts together today. I just want to open up by asking you, are there any uh, sayings of Jesus that you can call to mind right now? Shout out. Shout out much louder than that. I still didn't hear that, and I don't think I'm going to, but I'm going to trust you that it was there, okay? There's, there, there are things that he said which are difficult, in fact, I'm going to go further and say I think there's nothing that he really said that was easy if you look at it properly. And uh, there's this little book by uh, a man named Phil Moore, who's, uh, who's a church leader in Wimbledon in South London. He's written this book, Gagging Jesus, Things Jesus Said That We Wish He Hadn't. I thoroughly recommend this to you. It's very, it's very short read, uh, and Phil has a wonderful way of making it conversational. But he, he says this on the back here. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth wasn't afraid to tell it like it is. Those who claim to follow him, on the other hand, often are. It's easy to settle for a tamed and domesticated Jesus, a bounding gag Jesus, a Jesus of our own making. And what I want to pray for us right now as we get into this is that actually 
the Holy Spirit come and open our eyes again to see the wonder of Jesus, to see the wonder of Jesus as God, as the one who is sovereign over your life, over my life, even here this morning. So just close your eyes with me right now, and I just want to invite the Spirit to come and enlighten our, our study this morning. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of Jesus, I just ask you to come and illuminate our minds and open our hearts, warm us again with uh, the rays of heaven, even today. We, we ask that you would come and show us Jesus Christ in these things that he said. We thank you, Lord, that you are extraordinary in, in the purest sense. Lord, you are nothing like the ordinary. You came into the ordinary to bring God to us, to manifest the living God amongst us. Lord, would you do it again here today as we open your word together, as we look at what it is to deal with your sayings, your teachings, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so, the hard sayings of Jesus. I've, I've done three categories here. That I, this, obviously, you could carve this lots of different ways, and that's one thing that you're going to find out as we look at the scriptures themselves. But I think that the hard sayings of Jesus, for my understanding, fall into... Th- three different reasons that they're difficult. First, there might be some things, by the way, hard sayings, hard, it just means hard teachings. It's not just things he went around saying out of context. It's things that he's looking to teach. He's looking to communicate the heart of God to mankind. And in doing that, he says things that are really difficult to understand, things that are even more difficult for us to understand 2,000 years later in a different country with all sorts of different ideas, yet they still cross the divide, and that's the wonderful thing. Secondly, he says things that are difficult to stomach. Do you know what that means? They, they, they churn you. They actually, oh, they, 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 they hit you in a fundamental place. doesn't make them untrue. It doesn't make them wrong, but it really shakes you up. They have that effect. And so some of the things he teaches can be difficult to take because of that fact. And lastly, I wonder if any of you have felt this. Some of the things he says are difficult because they're difficult to obey. Actually, you understand them perfectly well. They don't churn the stomach, and actually you kind of wish the world was like he says it is, but they're difficult to obey. It's just difficult to do the things he says. They're seemingly impossible. So we're going to look at each of these in turn. And First, I want to put up a verse here which is from Luke chapter 14, verse 26. And this is just going to be our test case. I'm going to get you guys to do some stuff together as we go through. But let's just look at this one. It says, if anyone comes to me, it's Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Okay, well, I thought I'd start off as a means to go on with a difficult one. This is very difficult. In fact, it's completely contrary, even the picture that you probably have in your mind of Jesus here this morning coming out of the worship meeting. And you read this. He's saying, if anyone doesn't hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The bar is high, isn't it? Immediately. And you're thinking, what are you saying, Lord? You know that he says in other places. You know that he says that... Uh, you're to love one another. That actually, the, the two commandments are love God. Love God, first and foremost. And the second one, which is like it, love your neighbor, who is everyone, everyone in this creation, every person that you come across, love them as yourself. Okay. So we know he says that. No, and then he comes along and says this. What category do you think that falls under? I think it does a bit of all three, really. 
Remembering those categories, those things that are hard to obey, well, that's really hard to obey. You know, for most people, sometimes it might be a little bit too easy to obey, depending on your domestic situation. But that's generally a hard thing to obey. And he's saying, like, hate everyone close to you. Hate everyone close to you, otherwise you can't be my disciple. It's hard to obey. It's hard to, hard to stomach, very hard to stomach. And, uh, and it's, it's also hard to understand. You're like, you're like Jesus, you, you, you just said, you just said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then you're telling me not just the neighbor who you've just come across, but your nearest and dearest, hate them. What you have to remember, and this, this, is some, this is something of a key for looking at any of these texts, is that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills these three, uh, these three roles that are seen throughout the Old Testament. You see good people who are good kings, who point to Jesus, good prophets who point to Jesus, and good, king, good kings, good prophets, good priests. So a priest is one who communicates between man and God. He's that for us. A king is one who rules over us for God's sake. And a prophet is one who brings God's word to us. Now, a lot of these difficult sayings can be somewhat unlocked if you bear in mind the thing that actually any good Muslim knows about Jesus, that he is a prophet. Now, for us, for you who are Christians here today, it goes well beyond that. You're like, yes, he is prophet. Yes, he's priest. Yes, he's king, savior, lord, returning king. He's coming back for a, to restore creation completely. But for this morning, I want you to really remember he is a prophet. When he speaks, he speaks prophetically as bringing the word of God. And what he's doing here is actually dividing people up. He's actually saying, challenge your conceptions. Actually, one of the things, the the most sanctified sin in our nation, perhaps, is love for family. It's so, it's so, uh, so close to being right. That you think, how can, this, how can this even be wrong? Even now you're thinking, oh, I hate this guy speaking. He's telling me to be mean to those that love me. Okay. You know, I'm only bringing the same message that is written here. Jesus is saying that your dedication to Christ must be so strong that it makes absolutely all of the other loves in life kind of look like hate. Kind of look very, very, very secondary. Because he's trying to recalibrate us. He's trying to say, get your mind straight. Get close to the Creator recognize everything else is a creature everything else is a part of creation and worshiping it putting love of it above love of god is idolatry it's actual idolatry he's saying i must take that first place okay so i've started with a difficult one let's let's move on let's look at one that's difficult to understand this is a picture this is a picture of uh the ferry crossing between portsmouth and calm and it won't mean a lot to you, but it means a lot to me. Because I once had a friend named Francois. Francois, who lived in Cannes. And uh, he, w- he was my pen friend in year seven. And he came over to visit me in Portsmouth. And I, I think it would be fair to say that we had a hell of a week. Uh, not in a good sense at all. He was homesick the whole time. He, ca- he came over and he, ma- he just cried. He cried constantly. He was in my parents' house. It was embarrassing. My friends come around and crying Frenchman in, in my room, and, and I had to explain that. And uh, I, all I could manage to say to him, because the weather was horrible as well, so we had to stay inside, was, il pleut, which is, it's raining. Yeah, I couldn't even get as far as it's raining men or anything like that. It's just, it's raining. And uh, yeah, there was a divide. There was a cultural divide between me and Francois. 
Now, actually, that completely changed when I went to Khan, and he was bright and breezy. And I, I've never been more shocked. I was like, actually, you're not a manic depressive. Or maybe you are, but you're only manic when you're in Khan. And the situation was that there's a cultural gap between me and this guy, Francois. Francois spoke a different language, but he was the same age, gender. You know, actually, you know, he basically lived in the same country. That's not very far. You know, we didn't have much that wasn't in common. Uh, I even managed to beat him at a French battle board game in French as well, which he was very displeased about. And uh, so, you know, obviously we didn't maintain contact after that initial, that, uh, that initial thing because it was difficult, because there was a cultural gap. Now, consider with Jesus the cultural gap that we face. Some of you are the same gender. Well, you've got that in common. I'm close to the same age that he was, but a lot of you aren't. Apart from that, it pretty much stops. He was a human, he was, but then he was the God-man, so he's pretty different in that respect. He lived in another country. He lived in a different culture. And actually, if you're a Christian here today, he was a different religion as well. Yeah, Jesus wasn't a Christian, was he? So, so there, there you go. We, we're dealing with a man who is speaking prophetically words from God who is in completely different shoes to us. And uh, we, we, you do well to bear that in mind. He's pretty far away from us. But he, there's also, and this is significant, as well as a cultural gap, there's a significant spiritual gap between us. This is, uh, this is what it says in Matthew 13, verse 13. Jesus was asked by his own disciples, why are you always teaching in parables? Now, parables are these stories, which basically, it basically translates, parabolos means to throw it out there. They're just things, they're little illustrations that he's throwing out there. He's just throwing it out there to illustrate a point. And he, his disciples said, why, why do you keep telling these stories to people? Why don't you just tell them, tell them, you know, chapter and verse, the ins and outs? And he says, well, for you disciples, I give you the inside track. For everyone else, I just throw it out there and let them think about it. I let them deal with it. And he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they don't see. And hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. Jesus is challenging. He's challenging. He's, he's difficult to understand. And he means to be. He means to be a challenge to you. And my hope and prayer for you here this morning is that you let that challenge do its work in your life year on year. Actually, don't try and get rid of the challenge of Jesus. Don't try and tame it down, as Phil's saying in that book, Gagging Jesus. Don't try and gag Jesus or domesticate him or make him safe for you. Allow the challenge to keep permeating your life. Even when you read those things, and what he's saying here, he's saying, look, actually... Those who are hard against me are going to get more hard in their hearts as life goes on. And those who are open to me are going to be transformed in who they are. They're going to come into everything that God has for them because they allow the challenge of Jesus to do its work in life. Artie France, who's a commentator on that verse, says this. He says, anyone can hear, but only a disciple can understand. That's what's going on in that verse about the parables. I speak to them in parables so that... If they're my disciples, they're going to gain understanding. But the challenge, how you react to the challenge of Jesus is the key to what will happen in your life. So I've got one for you here. This is, uh, this is under the difficult to understand category. And what I would like you to do is just grab people near you. Like, it doesn't matter what size. Like, don't physically grab. I see some grabbing going on there. It's probably against health and safety. Uh, so, and we want to look at this one together. I just want to give you a two-minute uh, challenge with this. Mark 9, 43 to 47. It says this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Okay. Okay, happy words, right? Yes, there's so many dour faces. This is the word of God. So I'm going to leave this one up here. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. And I want you to discuss between you, why is this difficult? Okay, that's probably, that's probably a pretty obvious question, but start there. Why is, it, why is this a difficult thing? Why, why is he uh, teaching in this provocative, difficult, challenging, prophetic way? The next thing, how should it be applied? What should you do with it? The, okay, this is a command from God to mankind, isn't it? Okay, this is something God has said to mankind. Wow, do you think people have got this wrong in the past? You can bet they have. You can bet they have. There's, there's nothing new under the sun, and there's going to be someone who's really been zealous for trying to know God who's done this, okay? Gory. Not really for this time in the morning. All right? But I want you to talk about how do you apply something like this? Jesus said it then. He says it now. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. Okay, how do you apply it? And then lastly, which of the categories do you think it fits into apart from being difficult to understand? Okay, go for it. Talk to each other for two minutes. Okay, have you cracked it? Anyone feeling confident? Yeah. Were you nodding because you cracked it? Yeah. Good, good man. And just sitting near the front so I can actually ask you. That's good. Um, okay, so how do we apply it? Okay, so flee from sin, run away from things that cause you to sin. So he's speaking pictorially. Yeah. He's not, he's not actually looking for some gore fest. Okay, okay. Have we got any other takes on that? Have we got any literalists? I'd love you to hobble to the front if that's you. But I, think, I think our friend here has got that completely right. Actually, you're speaking, he's speaking hyperbolically. He's, he's ramping it right up. He's making it hurt. And I think that's a really significant thing because it does, doesn't it? When you, when you read that, it's, it's so much... Uh, so much spicier. It leaves such, such a, a stronger aftertaste than just saying, you know, just run away from sin, which is a good thing, actually. And that's, you know, flee from sin. Don't let it have a dominance, domination over your life, all of that kind of stuff. But this is saying, actually, realize the seriousness of it. Actually, if it's your eye causing you sin, you'd be, you know, friends, you'd be better off without it. And he's, he's not overstating that. It's a funny thing. He's actually saying it's that serious. Feel the seriousness of it. You'll be better off hobbling into heaven than going, running headlong into hell. And that's a great way of teaching it. It just emphasizes what he's saying there. Can you think of what other categories this fits into? So uh, we've got, again, difficult to understand, difficult to stomach, and difficult to obey. Is there a shade of each of these in it, really? Actually, difficult to understand is fair enough. I don't think there'll be too many there in, in... of his hearers at the time saying, okay, let's literally go and do this. Although people in subsequent eras who, where the cultural gap's grown a bit too big ha- would have taken it in different, uh, more sort of monkish ways. Um, but I think definitely it falls into this second category that we'll move on now, difficult to stomach. Jesus does do this. He, he, he uses colourful examples, and I mean colourful in the, in the sort of uh, down-the-pub 
type colourful, you know, th things that are not really acceptable at the dinner table colourful. And he really does do this. So there's one, there's one example where he actually, uh, people come to him talking about what Herod's been saying, and he says, you go and tell that sly fox, I think it's translated, but it's, it's she-fox. You know, he actually uses the, the, the she-fox thing. I'm not going to do it now. None of you can trick me into that. But he's basically cussing the, the king at the time in colorful language. He's doing things like this. And he, he's doing it so that it actually sticks, so that the idea sticks. And he, he's not afraid to do this. Things that are difficult to stomach, things that get under your skin. Let's look at the next one. Oh, actually, before we do, has anyone seen this lovely film? Absolutely no one. And I don't blame you. Actually, I just wanted to share this with you. No, no, that's, that's not a problem. It's not a problem. I haven't seen this film either, yet it is the only film that has ever made me sick. The only film, physically sick. A lot as well. You know, not, 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 not a bit of upchuck. It was, I was really, really sick when I saw this. And this is just an aside about being, uh, things being hard to stomach. This film's called Far and Away. It's, a, it's quite a nice... It's a, According to IMDb, it's quite a nice romantic film about Irish people going to America. Uh, yeah, great. I never got to see any of that. It starts with this shot, which is shot from a helicopter, which is reversing backwards over the sea. It's going back. It's a beautiful shot. Look at that coastline. Look at the font. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I saw this. This is 20 seconds into the film, and then I had to run out. And I'll tell you for why. I was on a ferry crossing the North Sea, in the cinema, on the ferry. And I thought, oh, that would be fine. The sea's not even choppy. I'll just pop in and watch this film. And this, that's as much as I saw of it. So this, is, this gives you... That has, serves no point other than to say some things are hard to stomach. And uh, this film may be fine if you sit and watch it in your living room. It's not if you watch it on a ferry. So there you go. If you learn nothing else, you've learned that. Right. Now, moving upon the things that are very hard to stomach, this is the original hard saying of Jesus. It is the, it's the hard saying of all hard sayings. I've got a book uh, by a man named F.F. F. Bruce, which uh, seeks to list out all the hard sayings of Jesus. And there's 70 chapters in it. It starts with this one, okay? And I want you to get the offense of this. That's why we're looking at the, uh, the hard to stomachness of it. It says this, John 6, uh, 56 to 60. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples... When it, this is good, listen to this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, it's probably lost a bit of its impact for us. It's still there though, isn't it? Okay, but read that first line. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Now, in our minds, abiding in Christ, we, we think about the vine, maybe. Maybe you think about like where Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. You, you don't have life unless you have life in me. Okay, we understand. We want to be connected to the life of Jesus. But what he is saying to these God-fearing Jews who are his disciples there is that you need to get into my death. Now, you've got, like, death, death is horrible for everyone. You know, it's, it's not something that people look forward to and cherish and all of these kind of things. But for these God-fearing Jews, it was abominable 
You've got to understand. Like, for example, if, if you, as, as an observant Jew in, in Jesus' time, saw a funeral procession going by, you became ritually unclean. You know, it's not just that you've seen it. It's that it does you bad in your spirit. It, 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 it somehow pollutes you. They have this, this view about, about what death is. Can, can, can you get into their mindset? Think like these disciples think. They, they see death whenever, whenever they see death or if anyone touches a dead body or anything like that. In, in the Old Testament law, it tells you, anyone touches a dead body, you're unclean. You're unclean. And that's, that's not just, oh, oh dear, I'm dirty. It's like, it's, you're unclean. It's drastic. It's spiritually polluting. Now, this mentor, their rabbi, Jesus, who they've been following, who they've been giving their life to, just sits them down at dinner and he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. It's gross. It's gross to us, right? It's gross. It should be. I d- d- put the good theology, if you've got any good theology, put it out of the way. Put that theology over here and just let the horror of it hit you. He's saying, you need to be participant in my death. And he's saying it to people for whom death is a monstrosity. Not their own death, but just death in general is something that they can't, can't think about. It says in Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh, so talking about animals, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And, if, and I've given it to you for on, on the altar to make atonement for your souls. This is God speaking to his people. He's saying, I've given you these animals to be killed, to make atonement, to, to give a picture of how I make atonement for sins because of the life being poured out of the blood because of the animal being sacrificed in your place for your sin. Now, none of those, we, we find out later in the Old Testament, none of those things actually were, God says himself, I don't delight in animal sacrifice. I delight in obedience. But he gave all those sacrifices to point to the great sacrifice of Jesus, to point to the great cost that needed to be paid, the bloody price, the death, the uncleanness that Jesus takes upon himself for your sake. But it's absolutely drastic. That's my daughter. See you later, love. <laughs> I like to think that she's actually feeling the horror of what I'm saying here. It's probably just because she didn't go to sleep till 11. Uh, the point being here that actually this is a drastic thing. You're talking about uncleanness. And this, that's, that's just the... You know, they're looking at this guy saying, he's our king, he's our Messiah, he's the one who's going to bring everything right, he's going to live right and show us how to live right. Then he says the dirtiest thing you could possibly, possibly conscient hearing, he's saying, get into my death, get involved in my death. And he's pointing to the baptism that they'll all undergo, being baptized into the death of Jesus and raised up with him. Okay, and that's what you've, that's what you've done. If you've baptized here today, if you've been baptized, that's, that's what's happened. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ's death so that you could be raised with him into, into the new life. And it's a drastic thing. It is a hard saying. And they say, they say uh, if I skip back, you know, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it says elsewhere, many, many people. He had loads of people following. He's leading a big, big movement. He's a popular guy. He said many people left him that day. That was the point at which they're like, nope, that's far enough. Okay, when, when, when he starts talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh... And they, they've got no kind of figurative conception of it. They're just like, that's gross, we're out. He turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to go too? And they don't say, no, you're always right about stuff. They actually say, to who else will we go? You have the words of life. But you sense, actually, 
Is there like a reluctance here? To who else would we go? Well, it would be nice to be able to go to someone who has the power and does the miracles and doesn't talk about eating his dead body, right? But actually, he knows more than them. He's actually, he's put the, again, can you hear the challenge of Jesus? It comes in and the challenge always looks like a real challenge. It's not a pseudo challenge. This will happen to you in your life if it hasn't so far. The challenge of Jesus comes along and everything tells you this is wrong to carry on following him, to carry on being a disciple, to carry on going. And he turns around and says to you, are you going to go too? You need to turn around at that point and say, to who else do I go to, Lord? You have the words of life. When it's hard to stomach, that's the answer. So here's one for you then. Uh, one, One that is hard to stomach. It's hard for us to get our heads around. It's not hard to stomach in the same way. But I think it's still pretty tough to to wrap your heart around what's being said to you. It says here in Matthew 19, verse 21, If you would be perfect, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete in your life, go, sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Okay, take two minutes. Just take two minutes out and talk to each other about this again. And uh, I I want to basically give it the same questions. How How do you apply this? How are you going to apply this? It's still the same Lord. It's still the same command. Yesterday, today, forever. He's speaking to us as his people. Uh, So how do you apply this? And what other categories that we've mentioned, hard to understand, hard to stomach, and hard to obey, does this fall into? Just have a quick chat for two minutes. Okay, how did that go? Yeah? Is anyone ready to sell everything they have? Ooh. Disobedient bunch, right. (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, is, there, is there anyone either near the front or with an exceptionally loud voice who wants to give us a bit of insight into uh, those two questions? How do you apply this? How do we actually do this? And uh, then, yeah, secondly, what other categories it fit into? Sir, down here, do, do you want to come, come on the mic? I was just, um, as I was just reading it, this is, you know, don't, uh, I, I thought, because... Jesus is saying, if you would be perfect. So I thought, well, we aren't perfect, and we will never be perfect. So Jesus is, Jesus is perfect. So what he's saying is saying, if, look, look, if you were to be me, this is what I would do. This is the length I would go to. I would give everything I have and give it all to the poor. But I think that, he, that he, know, he knows that we aren't perfect, and he knows that we can't achieve that. But that's what he's saying that his love is like. His love is, his love is unfathomable. We have no... Yeah, I think, I don't know what that's like. That's good stuff. Um, Do do you know the context that he's speaking in? Do you know who he's speaking to when he says this? Okay, so it's in the context, do a few of you know know where this comes from? Yeah, so he's speaking to uh, a man called the rich young ruler, or a rich young man in there, and he comes along and he's, he's happy and he says... You know, what, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? What do I have to do to be a follower of yours? And he pretty much just kicks in. Yeah. So, so it's from that point of view. But I like your interpretation. It's very, very warm-hearted. I like that indeed. Preacher. Good. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so, so as I say, it's again back to the challenge of Jesus, the sheer challenge of it. He, he, do, he brings a personal challenge, a unique challenge to each one of us. And to this guy who comes along, who, who's, who comes along saying, I love doing God's law. I, I love doing what's right. I love, I love helping people out. I love, 
I, you know, I'd love to follow you in a really strong way in my life. What do I have to do to do that? And Jesus just puts his finger on that, on the, I guess, what could be the idol of this guy's life. He actually goes along to say that he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Actually, this one might be a bit easier if you don't have much to, you know, to sacrifice. You know, there, there's been times in my life where I'd be like, okay, well, that's a, that's a little bit of crockery or something that I've got to give away. It's not too much of a cost. But, uh, but now, oh, I've got a house and things like that. It's a bit more of an ask. Does anyone, anyone from the front want to come and offer us how you might apply it? Well, I think that really it's just saying follow God, whatever their cost. If God says go to Africa, sell everything you have and move and follow what he wants you to do. Just do that straight away and use everything you've got from that to go there, get a house and set yourself up and then help other people, serve other people. Everything you don't need in your life. If you go, oh, I, I want a two million pound TV, you don't need that. Get something cheaper and then just give the rest away. It's better to help other people than to just be selfish and give everything you own to yourself. Give to the poor and just do everything you can in your life. And that's, that's why I think we should do that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Good man. I, I, think, I think he's getting to principles there. Actually, Jesus is putting his finger on this guy's heart and he's also putting his finger on a principle of the kingdom. A principle of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus, Jesus always said he'd come to bring the good news of the kingdom. That's the good news of his way of life, the good news of his regime, the way that he was going to restore the whole of creation, the way he's doing it now. And this is a kingdom thing. If you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor. Do you know what? The principle still stands. Actually, if there's something in the way of you blessing the world, of blessing uh, people in the way that God wants it to be done through your life, then it needs to go. It's a priorities issue again, but a hard saying. It is a hard saying. And do you know what? He will bring these to you, bring those challenges to your own heart. So, you know, things that you've got your hand really tightly around, he's going to say, okay, I need to just prize your fingers off of this because it means too much and it's in the way. Different, different reasons for different times, but he'll do it again and again in your life. And it is thrilling as well. I, I don't want it to sound like it's a dour thing or a miserable thing. It's exciting. Actually, it's, it's thrilling. You enter into the life of God and what God is doing. So, okay, let's, let's move right on. I would, say, um, I would say the other category that this really clearly fits into is this last category, which is difficult to obey. Difficult to obey. There's plenty of things that you understand perfectly well they don't turn your stomach. You kind of wish the world was like it. But actually, you're still like, I know this is right, but it burns. It's, it just really burns when, when it, it comes to me as a personal challenge. So difficult to obey. Matthew 5.48, he says this. And this is, this is back to what we were talking about just now, about perfection. Oh, this is, this is a nice, easy one, right? You, therefore, you who want to follow Jesus, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, show of hands, who's achieved this? You're a naughty boy. You know you are. You haven't. You really haven't achieved this. You really haven't achieved this in your own steam. <laughs> yes, good shaking your head in repentance. I appreciate that. But it's a command. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, the shock of it. It is shocking, again. It's one of those things that wakes you up. And you know, actually, actually, I, I need to say as well that, that this term perfect, it, it, do, it does mean flawless, 
but it means complete as well. And I think that that meaning speaks an awful lot more to me. Actually, there's something in you that yearns for completion as well. And you look for it in relationships, you look for it in uh, career advancement as you go on in life or academic success. You want to be perfect in whatever way that means to you. You, you, want to, you want to be complete. I think that makes more sense, doesn't it? They, they might, you might not wake up in the morning each day thinking, I want to be perfect. <laughs> you know, some of you might have that about you. I, 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 would, I would settle for complete. I'd really like to be complete. I'd really like to be rounded out in life. Actually not to be ruled by stress, to be ruled by uh, flawed ambition or something like that. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This actually, this actually is a great promise as well when we see the other side of it. I'm going to get you to do another bit of work, not on this one, but on one like it. And we'll come back to this. But that idea of completion is actually something that's in the heart of God for restored humanity as well. As much as you want to be complete, you have a heavenly father who wants you to be complete as he is complete. And he has a way for that to be achieved as well. And for a thorough job to be done in your life. As Paul says, the apostle Paul says, the one who started a good work in you as a Christian, the one who started a good work in you will see it through to completion to the day of the Lord Jesus. That's a promise. It's a promise that he's actually, if he started work in you, even today, even if only last night or whatever, you started feeling God starting a work in you, it's a work that he's going to see through to completion. And it's on his reputation that that's going to happen. It's not on your grit He's going to take you through things, and he's going to cause you to be challenged, but he wants to see that completion in your life as well. That's great good news. Anyway, let's, let's move on to a text for you to uh, wrestle with here. So we've got Matthew 5, verse 44, which says, But I say to you, Jesus is, Jesus is very good at, um, this is an aside, Jesus is very good at saying, you've seen it, you've heard it said, or you've seen it written, you know. He points back to the, either the culture or the scripture of the people that he's speaking to, these, these God, God-fearing Jews, these observant people, he said, he'll say things that are difficult, and then he'll make them more difficult most of the time. But he'll, he'll, make, he'll put a finer point on them. He says, Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The bit before, uh, he says, you've heard it said, uh, love your friends, hate your enemies. You know, kind of deal out even treatment. Fairness. Fairness seems like a, a good Christian quality, doesn't it? Well, it's not. Actually, you have to go well beyond fairness. You know, it's not just about showing mercy. It's about showing grace like you've been shown. Do you want to know the difference between those two? Mercy is actually being let off of something when you should be punished. Being shown grace is actually being shown kindness by someone. So it's, it's like, you know, if you came along and stole my bike, you've got that look about you as well, you know. If you came along and stole my bike, and uh, I found out about it, because I, I do, I find out. I, I come along to you and I say, what's your name? Esther, Esther the bike thief. Uh, so if, if I come along and say, Esther, you know, I know about the bike, I know about the bike, but not only am I going to let you have the bike, here's a lovely new pink helmet for you as well. You see? So that's grace. The difference is, difference between mercy and grace. Mercy would be, okay, well, I'm not going to the police this time, but I'm having my bike back, you know, and so I'll give you, give you an evil look. But, you know, a bike hat, maybe a bell, all that, grace, kindness, all right? And things that we don't deserve. So what he's saying here is actually fairness is not the kingdom principle. Fairness isn't. 
It's, it's not just dealing out, yeah, okay, deal out good for good, bad for bad, eye for eye, that kind of thing. He's saying, actually, you know, we go further than that. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I want, to wrestle, want you to wrestle with this under two questions. First one is, is this hard to understand? Okay, this is under my, my category of hard to obey, difficult to obey. Is it difficult to understand? Don't answer now. And uh, the, the next one is, would you like, expect, or want this from other people? Would you want this to be the way that you were treated? Okay? And, uh, yeah, no, I think that's enough for now. Back in your groups, just give it two minutes and rest, wrestle with this. How, and that same, how do you apply it question? How does it work? Is it hard to understand? And would you like this treatment from others? Go for it. Those two questions again. Is this actually hard to understand? And uh, is, this, is this a desirable way to be treated by other people? Anyone want to come and have a crack at it on the microphone? Um, I think that this is like quite easy to understand. But like, supposing if I was like an enemy or someone, like I would want them to like love me and treat me normal. But like, it, but I think like if someone did something really bad to you, I think it's like a bit hard to like love them. But at the same time, Jesus loved us when we didn't love them. When Jesus loved us when we weren't really loving him. So I think you should love your enemies, but I think it's difficult for you to love your enemies. Very good. Thank you for that. I think my friends really put a finger on it there. Actually, it is something desirable. It's actually something in your heart that you cry out for. I wish people would treat me like this. Like, you, you know, when you know for sure that you've done wrong, do you, do you, does anyone, is anyone stoic enough to stand up and say, yes, I deserve this punishment, bring it on? Any, any of you hard enough for that? I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not afraid to say that I, I have a standard for myself and a standard for other people, and I really, really want forgiveness for myself. And I think people should dig deep to forgive me. Uh, but when it comes to forgiving others, it's a real chore. And actually, you know, making that decision of the will that says, I forgive you well before any feelings of forgiveness well up in me is, is essential in following my Savior Jesus because he died for me when I hated him. And I think, I think my friend there, future preacher, that was excellent and uh, just, just summed it up. Actually, he died for us. But this thing is so hard. It's, it's, it's not just hard. He's saying an impossible thing, isn't he? he? Be honest, he's saying an impossible thing. But it puts me in mind of what Daryl was saying last night about the Holy Spirit, that actually the Spirit of God, even when Jesus uh, goes to be with the Father, who, he says, look, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to send a counselor. I'm going to send one who is the power of God, who will witness to you about me, who will cause the power that was in me to be in you, and you'll do greater things. There'll be a greater expanse of Christ across the earth because of him going to the Father to send the Spirit to us even today so that we can do these things, so that actually we can live out, literally live out Christ to other people. They can experience what forgiveness really looks like and be pointed to the Savior. That's what he's saying there, and it's incredibly difficult. Okay, so... I just want to speak in these closing minutes because uh, you've been really great in listening to this and working together. I want to say thank you very much for engaging with that. But I want to give you a few tools uh, in, in dealing with the challenge of Jesus and perhaps a, a little bit of an apologetic tool as well here. 
Because the question might arise in your mind, how do we know that Jesus said these things? I mean, we've looked at things that Jesus is reported to have said. And uh, I guess if you start trying to follow and start trying to take these things seriously, people will challenge you on this. So I just wanted to give you a few things, uh, just, just a few points for you to build yourself up, to put blocks of truth into your life so that you've got something to stand on. The first thing uh, I would say when, when you're confronted with the how do we know that Jesus has said this question, uh, it's worth knowing that in the academic field now, there's no serious professor who would say that Jesus never existed. I've, I, I come across this at a popular level quite often. So, so people, people will send around like some awful YouTube video about this, that, or the other, and it will be, the gist of which is Jesus wasn't as he was, has been reported to be. He never existed, or he, he didn't say these things. It's not historically attested. You just need to know, like, and, and any of you have been on like Alpha first week or whatever it is, they, they do, do it early on set this in place, that you need, you need to be confident that Jesus, the historical person Jesus who said these things, who's reported to say these things, is amazingly well attested. There's no, there's no serious scholar, Christian or otherwise, who would deny that he exists now. If, if you, you know, and th- that would have happened in, you know, say 50 years ago, there's quite a popular movement against it. You, you guys need to be confident And dig as deep as you like with this, but take my word for it. There is no scholar who would say that Jesus, the historical person, didn't exist. People disagree about who he was, and uh, uh, mainly because the cost is so high of following him. If if you look at what he actually said and the demands he made, it's a real challenge. It's a real thorn in your shoe. It is. And that's what we've been talking about all morning today, about the challenge of Jesus, the difficult sayings. Let them remain difficult and actually let your life be formed around his. And take people seriously when they, oh, I guess, when, when they're being upset by Jesus. It's a good sign. If you're, if you're a Christian and your friend is getting upset about Jesus or what he said, great, they're getting it. Finally getting it, actually. It's difficult. The things he says are provocative because they're changing your life. You're being reconfigured. Okay, uh, second one. I'd like to recommend a book which I believe we've got probably with a more modern cover, uh, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. I think it's for sale here. Um, I've, asked, I've asked them to stock it, but if they haven't, you, can, you know how to use Amazon, don't you? Um, so this, one, this one's great. Really short little chapters that get you into, into the, the mind of Christ. They get you into those hard sayings. They get you wrestling with the sort of things that we've been looking at today. And it just, again, like Phil's book, like Gagging Jesus, it just doesn't dodge anything. It, it wrestles with Jesus. It wrestles with the real Jesus and the hard sayings, the difficult things that he uh, teaches, and it, it brings them into application in your life. Very important book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. Um, yeah, just to say as well, the Gospels, four different takes on the life of Jesus, historically attested. If you want to read into them, there's, this, there's a big academic book on those uh, but called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by a guy named Richard Borkham. That is not for hobbyists, I would say. That's, that's if, you, if you want to get, uh, get into some, some of the latest scholarship on the Gospels themselves. But the headline for all of you who don't want to do that is just to know that you can have great confidence in the Gospels as history, 
as historical texts written by people who were on the ground witnessing the things that happened. And you can, you, you know, you, you can trust these things. You can pull the thread. You can do historical criticism and, and look at the texts and be sure that they won't fall apart before the, your eyes. They are amazing. The way that God has orchestrated his son coming into history for our benefit and for the intelligibility of mankind is staggering. So that book was uh, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by Richard Borkham. Um, yeah, the, it, the Gospels themselves, the events that are reported, are written within living memory. And you even find this, the, the early New Testament documents as well, the, the, the letters of Paul attest to the same things, that actually they're written within living memory. People, people who could have stood up and said it didn't happen like that were around. There's actually, that's, that is amazing. It is not like any other faith. It's not like any other sacred text, so-called. It is the sacred text. So I would say get into that for your own benefit and for the sake of uh, encouraging the faith of others as it grows. Lastly, there's these two reasons. I, I've been banging this drum the whole time. The challenge of Jesus. Let it do its work on you for your entire life. Don't let the challenge of Jesus become a settled question in your life. Let the difficult sayings stay difficult. If you think you've got them sussed, if you think that actually I've, I've nailed this selling everything I have and giving to the poor malarkey, you need to go back and let the challenge awake again. Say, Spirit, challenge me with the real Jesus. Two reasons for that. Firstly, you get to deeply know the living God. Now, this is, this is miles away from the historic question that I've been speaking about just now. That's important, and it's important for helping people to uh, remove obstacles to faith and belief and followership, discipleship of, G of Jesus. Uh, that's the point. He is the living God. It's not, he's not just a historical figure. You are meeting the living God. Jesus, God the Son, God in the flesh, and the more that you let this challenge do the work on you, the more you will know him. And the second thing is to obey him and have a good life. Actually, there's a fruit that comes from obeying God. There's actually a fruitfulness, uh, and you, you get this over and over again in Proverbs, in the wisdom literature. It's just saying to you, you know, get wisdom. Whatever you do, get wisdom. Now, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is just knowing things. It's knowing facts. Wisdom is how to apply them in life. It's how to, it's how to walk it out. And all through the Hebrew, uh, the, the Old Testament, and, and through the New Testament, life is figured as a walk. It's something to be walked out. It's something to be walked out daily with Jesus in obedience. He's not just saying, obey so that I have an easy life. God isn't saying that. He's saying, obey so that you have a good life and you become fruitful. And if you've got an idea of fruitful as just meaning growing in a family or growing in converts or anything like that, expand the idea of fruitfulness. It applies to the whole of life. God wants good for you. He wants you to be fruitful in life, and that comes from obedience. When, and obedience is obedience when it's hard, isn't it? Obedience is obedience when it doesn't, you don't feel like obeying. That's when you know it's obedience. It's when a tough text comes up against your life. The Spirit prophetically applies it to what you're going through right then and there, and you realize, I've got a choice to make. Do I follow or do I not? I'm going to leave it there for today. Remember the challenge of Jesus. My name's Tim Jones, by the way. I didn't actually say that at the beginning. My name's Tim Jones, and I'm from uh, Church of Christ the King in Bryson. It's been lovely to speak to you all this morning. Thank you for taking it so seriously. God bless you as you go, and have a wonderful week.